welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week we have a treat for you. A treat? This week we are broadcasting on location. Normally we don't do it. Well, actually, it's more like the, the location came to us. But we are broadcasting on location from Hoth. No, we are not on Hoth. <laughs> it sure feels like it when you walk outside. It's eight degrees out this morning. Okay. It's been in the teens for the last four days. That's the high. But we do live in the subarctic. Okay, so we're broadcasting, f- well, we are recording from the subarctic. How's that? Are you happy? Yes. yes. <laughs> We have snow on the ground. We have sun in the sky. Yes, it's eight, but it's warm. Tauntauns running down the street. I got passed by a snow speeder when I went out to get coffee this morning. Come on. You did not <laughs> do either of those things. <laughs> you know, this happens every year. Ignore I... the Imperial Star Destroyer hovering overhead. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> But there is a strange meteor <laughs> asteroid in the atmosphere. Um, no, we go through this every single year. And much like the fact that the Christmas is always December 25th and shouldn't surprise anybody, especially retailers, um, I'm always stunned that Northeast Ohio is stunned by the fact it gets cold in winter. I don't mind that it gets cold in winter. But you've also got to keep in mind that normal temperatures this time of year, according to all the almanacs, normal temperatures this time of year are around 20 to 30 degrees. So when the highs are half that and the average morning lows without wind chill are drastically less than that, I have a right to complain a little bit. Well, not really complain. Mock. Okay. I'm not really complaining. I'm, I'm laughing at the situation because it's something amusing to me. But for the last at least three or four years, <coughs> January's averages have been much lower than 20 to 30 degrees. Yeah. And it's supposed to be warming up next week. We'll have a brief little interlude of 30-something degrees and then we're going to drop right back down again. And it's the roller coaster that is January. 30. It's going to go up to 50. See? And that's how people get sick in Cleveland. Yeah, it is. Because you know that there's going to be some idiot who's going to be wandering around in shorts and a t-shirt. Because woohoo, look how warm it is. Do you know that Friday night, just speaking of shorts, I saw a kid at swim practice get out of their car in shorts. I see that? I've seen that a few times. And I see it a lot over at the rec center. Because these are folks that are headed over to the, to the rec center to go work out or swim or whatever and get body temperatures and core temperatures all spun up and then run to the car, leave, and go home. So I've seen that quite – it seems kind of stupid, but I've seen it quite a bit over there. Again, I think that that's just a recipe for, you know, ickiness. Because, okay, yeah, I take warm yoga and – it's warm in the room, and I'm hot, and I'm sweaty, but what happens to sweat when it gets cold and you walk into, like, a walk-in cooler? It's going to make you colder faster because that's what sweat's supposed to do. I, I didn't say it makes sense. I didn't say it was intelligent. I didn't say I agree with it. I just said I've seen it. 
I I don't understand this. I do not understand those people that wear shorts in the middle of winter. I don't get it. It yeah. looks stupid. Stop doing it. Okay. Almost as dumb as shorts and a hoodie. Yeah, the shorts and the hoodie thing. Although I freely admit, <clears throat> growing up in South Florida, I did rock the shorts and sweatshirt look for a while. Okay. I, I, I admit that. But it was a thing. That's what we did. So I also wanted to follow up on something from last week. Oh, no. I Not, oh, why, oh, no. Do we have to retract anything? We don't. Actually, I am, however, going to express some disappointment. Because we have officially asked David Cothard, Mark Weber, um, Jenny Gao, Lee McKenzie, and Scuderia Ferrari, and nobody has responded to our request for information as to what Sebastian Vettel named his car last year. <gasps> None of them. Some random Ferrari fan even liked the question posed to Scuderia, and Scuderia Ferrari did not respond. Did we ask the question in Italian? I did not, because Scuderia Ferrari tends to post uh, either in English or in both English and Italian on their Twitter account. Okay. I was wondering if perhaps maybe their English speaker was not in this week. They could still be coming back from holiday. They get more holidays than we do over there. Remember that. Yeah. I don't know. I, my next option is, is maybe I'll reach out to uh, Martin Brundle. Um, he's fairly active on Twitter and see if maybe he'll find out for us. Um, I was going to ask James Allen, but he was at CES, and he just posted that he was supposed to be flying back from Vegas to London today, and while the plane was to, to I guess, a nonstop flight on American Airlines, and while the plane was on the tarmac, it got delayed, and it pushed the um, flight crew over their allowed flight time and canceled the flight. As a result, he is um, rather ticked off at American Airlines right now. Wow. They're not pulling in a new crew for him? Is they just canceled the no, flight? No, apparently they just canceled the flight on the tarmac because the crew went over from the delay. Well, I mean, that's awful that the, the crew went over from the delay, but you get another crew in. You don't cancel the flight. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Bad. He doesn't either, so. And he's ticked off. <clears throat> well, yeah, let's not ask him to do any work right now while he's angry. We don't want him angry asking Seb. <laughs> you don't think that Seb stopped naming his cars because he went to Ferrari, do you? No, because we had heard, um, I want to say it was earlier this year. It was when he did the side-by-side the -side interview with Lee McKenzie on Channel 4, him, Lee McKenzie, and Lewis Hamilton, there was discussion about him naming his cars. Mm -hmm. But he didn't mention that he had named this year's car. Interesting. Yeah. This is drama. We will have to follow up. I have, however, sent in a request that should Mossett return to Williams, that we would like a return to the stats in weights of Mossas. Have they responded? No. Okay. We are zero for all of the requests that we wow. have for weights of Mossas and or names of cars. Well, unfortunately, also coming up this week is the big autosport uh, motorsport show put on by the folks at Autosport, hence the name, that Williams is a huge partner at. Uh -huh. And a lot of folks from Williams, including Claire Williams and Lance Stroll and apparently not this year Valtteri Bottas, um, 
are making appearances at the show. Last year at the show, it was pretty cool, actually. Last year at the show, they brought in the entire Williams Hospitality Motorhome thing and set it up. Oh, wow. In the show. And folks were able to go and tour it. Where is this show? It's in, I believe, London. I don't believe, I want to say Earl's Court, but I'm not positive on that. But I believe it's in London. Good to know for future possibilities. Um, Speaking of Williams. Okay. We have another piece of news. I have a new keychain. Wow, everyone was just sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for that. It's a cool keychain. It's got the Williams logo on it. It's on sale at both the WMR shop and uh, the F1 store. Go me. I have a new keychain. <laughs> and why do you have a new keychain? Well, it's attached to a new car key. Oh, okay. <laughs> because we have a new official German car of the Bloke and the Bird show. We have named a new car. We have named a new official German car. And and, and what is the, the new official new car of the Bloke and the Bird show? Is an Audi A4. Ooh. Yes. Is this the brand new redesigned Audi A4 or is it the used older version? Not yeah. quite as nice as, as the redesigned version. I'm quite sure that you could get a used version very nicely of an Audi A4, but this is the new version of the Audi A4. <laughs> Newly redesigned. Newly redesigned. For 2017. Huh? Newly redesigned. Okay. Um, thoroughly enjoying learning all the different things about it. Um, it has quite a few of what you have termed the nanny features on this car. They, there are. Um, Apparently, I follow too close, according to my car. And it will um, attempt to drive itself down the road without you holding on to the steering wheel. But eventually, it gets mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, 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 it does uh, – the adaptive cruise control is probably one of my favorite features, honestly. Well, we'll talk – Probably more about it as we get, you know, later into the winter break and are scratching for things to do. True. But so far, so good. We have a uh, a new member of the Bloke and the Bird team. They're German's car. Motorsport fleet. They're motorsport fleet. <laughs> I will say that in the buying experience, it was kind of nice to make references to F1 and have the sales guy know what we were talking about. F1 and WEC. Yes. Or at least make like he knew what we were talking about. He had semi-intelligent answers to, you know, comments to the questions that we had. Smile and nod. Smile and nod. He did not just smile and (laughs) nod. Anyway. Okay, so, you know, we we are getting closer and closer to the start of at least winter testing. We are. Teams are working on, on getting their designs in place and set up. And, you know, as tends to happen people trying to these teams are trying to sort stuff out they make inquiries to charlie whiting and the fia about you know hey this is what we're looking to do is this legit is this cool can we go ahead and do that now keep in mind because winter testing is exactly that testing teams can run whatever they want legal illegal eh, not so legal they want to run a car with eight wheels you can do that at winter testing but come Melbourne in the first race, you got to be within the rules. All right. So let's keep that in mind. But if you recall a couple of years ago, there was this whole uh, controversy over the Frick suspension system. It was um, 
essentially it was it was a suspension system that Mercedes and quite a few teams were running. Um, I want to say it was 2014 when we went through this that it was determined that parts actually move that shouldn't move during the race. Ah. And that's what gave them the stability. And partway through the season, the FIA turned around and said, yeah, um, you're not supposed to be having bits that move in these areas. The, the, these suspension systems, effective as the middle of the season, must be pulled and you have to go to a more traditional system. I had to go back and go away from it. So I guess based on the current their current interpretation of the rules, um, Mercedes has come up with some kind of a um, a new hydraulic suspension system. What they've done is they've placed a third suspension element. And I know this is going to be a little technical. I, I, I need the science content thing. <laughs> So what Mercedes has done is they put a what's known as a heave or a third suspension element behind the rocker assembly to control vertical displacement of the suspension. So I guess they started actually doing this back in 2016, and Ferrari kind of questioned it. Ferrari actually went so far, they wrote a letter a few weeks ago, within the last couple of weeks, to Charlie Whiting and the FIA saying – Hey, we're we're considering putting forward the, this sus- suspension system in our 2017 car, and we want to know if it's legal. And they describe the system. They describe what Mercedes is doing. Oh. And said, this is what we're looking to do. Um, the letter came from chief designer Simone DeResta, um, said that his team was considering a system that would replicate the old-scale Frick, which is what the old engine system was called, without a physical connection between the front and the rear of the car. And the issue is whether or not these – they want to know whether or not these systems breach the catch-all article 3.15 of the F1's technical regulations that effectively outlaws movable aerodynamic devices as they can help the car's aerodynamic characteristics. So Charlie responded. Mm-hmm. Um, his response In our view, any suspension system which was capable of altering the response of a car's suspension system in any way you describe in paragraphs 1 and 2 of of Ferrari's letter would be likely to contravene Article 3.15 of the technical regulations. In other words, he is now saying that what Mercedes did in 2016 and what they are looking to do in 2017 is prohibited under the regulations. He says is likely. Yeah. If Mercedes can prove that they're not in in conflict with that, it won't be. Well, there there's still questions being asked. Um, like even Autosport says that although Charlie's response appears to outlaw the use of this kind of suspension technology, teams apparently have asked further about this and they've asked for for further clarification. So what we know is that as talks continue between the teams and um, the FIA and Charlie Whiting, there's now a risk. Mm-hmm. Be- any team that is running a device that could be interpreted as breaching the rules now faces you know, the question, do they commit it to their 2017 design um, or do they go another route so far down the line here? If they continue with it and the concept is outlawed, well, now they're running in violation of the rules and they've got to start all over 
potentially after the season has started or further down in the development process. Well, I would hope that <clears throat> this is tipping the hat that they're going to have to dual, dual develop. I don't know. And come up with a backup system just in case. But Mercedes is really good at arguing the rules, so let's see what happens. Yeah. But um, I kind of think that's a little dirty on uh, Merce- on Ferrari's part. Yeah. And, and they, they've done this – they did this one other time that we were – Mm-hmm. S- since we have had the show that they have basically sent this letter off. Well, actually, no, it was Mercedes last year that pulled this with Ferrari. Hey, we're looking to have this relationship with a junior team with all of these parts, and we just want to make sure that we don't go too far down the road and be wrong with it. Yeah. They did, I mean, it was the same thing with, with Ferrari, Ferrari and Haas Hans. last year. So this is paybacks. Paybacks a B. Yeah, pretty much. So Adrian Newey has um, he has come forth from the cave he hides out in. Oh, um, he's he, exited the Bat Cave with new designs for a Red Bull. The Bat, yes, it's the Red Bull Bat Cave. It is. It's got to be. It's where the, where the guy with the wingsuit with the jet engines hangs. Although he's Brightling, he he's not a Red Bull guy. He's a Brightling guy. Maybe they are in the same place. I don't know. It's probably the same cave where they're designing, you know, the super speedy. Um, Fel- Felix, and- it's it's where Felix Baumgartner hangs out before he decides to jump out of the space capsule in low Earth orbit. Because okay. he was a Red Bull guy. Okay, I'll accept that. I have no idea who that person is. Okay, it, it's where Red Bull dreams up the latest extreme sport that yes. everybody. Okay, how's that? Yes, that's exactly what the Bat Cave is. <laughs> it's the Red Bull Bat Cave. Yes. Um, he has come out of it to talk about um, some of the various rules that are being proposed, and he's got some opinions as to how uh, changes could be made to F1 to make it better um, for both the teams, if maybe not the racing standpoint. Okay, wait a minute. <clears throat> Can we translate that to mean Adrian Newey has come out with rule changes, his opinions of rule changes that would be better for Red Bull? No, this is just in general. Oh, and, okay. and I'll let you you stew on some opinions as I, I tell you what Adrian had to say. Okay. He said his personal view, and he told this to Sky Sports F1. He says that his personal view is that F1 should be a battle of drivers coupled with the creativeness of engineers. That means it shouldn't purely be a battle of resources, which is what it is tended to become on the engineer's side. It would be entirely possible to come up with a set of regulations that would reward creativity more than simply the number of people in a team. A budget cap is very difficult to implement, but you could come up with resource restrictions, certainly on the chassis side, most of them aerodynamic driven. You would restrict resource or you would restrict research resources much more heavily than we do. Perhaps scrap wind tunnels altogether and be much more restricted on the computational fluid dynamics runs, the CFD runs. If you restrict the resources, there wouldn't be any point having so many engineers because they couldn't feed it through the funnel. Mm. So instead of coming up with a budget cap, he wants F1 to be more of um a battle between engineers and drivers but we're going to take away the tools that the engineers use to do their job 
So we're going to strap as one hand as a reward behind- for creativity. We're going to strap one hand behind your back and tell you to go engineer. Be creative, but don't know whether or not it's actually going to work until you put it on a track and it's oh too late. And you don't have the money because we're, you know, we want to restrict your resources. You don't have the, the money to fix the problem that you created because you couldn't test it in the first place. That in and of itself is um, stupid because <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> Did he hear the words coming out of his mouth? Here's the thing. Iterative design is a absolute linchpin key point of how development has to happen. You have to go back and forth in the process and say, if I go down this path, oh, that doesn't work. Back up and start again. But if you keep having to go all the way down to the end point each time, you're going to suck up more resources. Well, well, that's it. He wants to do all of the testing for the iterative design in production. Yeah. When I test. I don't always test my code, but when I test my code, I test it in production. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, so... I'm sure I told you about this, but there was, um, there's this concept called the marshmallow challenge where uh, it's a team building exercise where you're given basically strands of uncooked spaghetti and a marshmallow and like a meter of tape and told to build something that raises the marshmallow up as high as humanly possible, but stable where you don't touch it. Okay. Okay. So this 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 whole concept it's team building it's mm-hmm. it's also understanding what iterative design looks like they did a study with this challenge where they gave the same challenge to grown-ups and kindergarten students mm-hmm. on average the kindergarten students created structures that were higher than <laughs> the grown-ups and the reason was and what the psychologists looked at was that the kindergartners started small Mm-hmm. So they would build it to one level and yep. then get creative and add another level. And so they kept moving upward, but they could they were doing iterative design, mm-hmm. um, organically iterative design. <clears throat> the adults were caught on the make it as high as possible piece of the set of instructions. So they wouldn't start building until they could figure out how to get it high. Mm. So they were limiting themselves as opposed to the kindergartners that were just getting it stable and then stable, then grow, and then stable, then grow. And, I mean, that was what they kept doing. So this company that the research study did a one-year offering where they offered, like, some incredible amount of money if anybody could build the tallest marshmallow structure based on this concept. No one. No one submitted and a, a structure for like the year mm-hmm. they they gave away no money for this thing because no one had had submitted one and the sta- the statement that always struck with me was um if somebody had merely raised the marshmallow one centimeter they would have won the whole thing because people were so convinced that everybody else out there was building some ginormous structure that they couldn't do it. And so nobody thought to start small. And this is exactly what Adrian Newey is trying to undercut is this idea of you start and then you keep adding to, but you well, don't do it in production. Cause if you get all the way down that thing, you're not going to have something as good as what kindergartners could put together. So therefore kindergartners should design F1 cars. 
I'm I'm not sure I agree <laughs> with a couple of pieces of that, but okay. That's one way to look at it. I think we still go back to the um, you're actually more wasteful of resources if you have to go all the way into production because That's, you're not allowed to do any wind tunnel testing. You're not allowed to do any kind of CFD modeling. You're no, just going to draw the, replace t- um, wind no, tunnels with CFD. No, he wants to restrict CFD as well. Oh no! Remember, it's Force India who is saying that they want to do more CFD. No, 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 no. I don't mind this idea that you restrict wind tunnel time, but replace it with CFD. I don't no, mind that. To... I mind having to build the whole damn car to test it. Yeah. That doesn't work. <laughs> and engineering resources in general, they cost money. They do? Yeah. Well, maybe in the back cave they're free. I, I don't know. In the Bat Cave is a super special place. I mean, I, I agree, and, and we've said it before. I, I agree with turning around and telling the engineers, go forth, minimum level of rules, you know, as long as you have these basic guidelines for safety and performance, go design whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, and if that's what formula, the model that Formula One wanted to go to, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad idea. But restrictions for the sake of restrictions, that I'm not a huge fan of. I think it guts the heart of the sport when you try to make restrictions to thwart development and development and gaining forward if you're going to be the pinnacle of technology you have to allow development to happen yeah it, it shouldn't be development under these limited scope of rules right. it needs to be a bit broader so that somebody can be creative and take a new approach well and that's the other thing is these rules do not allow for new approaches good bad or indifferent um the problem is that the money involved is such that the only new approaches that you're going to find are going to be in the big, the big companies because well, they've got the money I, to risk it. There, there's that. I'm, I'm not sure that the rules don't allow for the, the innovative and unique approach. They do, but they don't allow for the flashy ones. Like yeah, six it, tires. Yeah. I mean, we know that there is some some innovative stuff happening with the aerodynamics, but the average fan isn't going to be able to understand whether this fan is pointed 45 degrees this way or 10 degrees that way makes any kind of a big deal as opposed to <coughs> the six-wheeled car. Yeah. That's, you know. And that's that's part of it is, you know, where do we get some flashy? Because yeah. we're going to we're kind of hungry for some flash. So, moving on to another topic. Okay. We've been watching now the bloodletting in McLaren. As Ron Dennis's regime is now officially over. and Let them go. The, Let them go. I, you know, I don't know if it's so much that. I think this, this might be a purge. Uh, Maybe a push. Black, black Plague? No, not that kind of a thing. More like the you and all the horses you depended on kind of a thing. And, well, things are continuing over there. More pieces of the Ron Dennis era are going away. They're... The latest 
McLaren has decided to sell off its catering division. The catering <laughs> division. <laughs> Their catering and event planning planning division, um, which was known as Absolute Taste, that they did all the hospitality, all the catering for the the team, including running the cafeteria and the canteen over at the McLaren Technology Center, all of that. No food for you. Um, it even had its own pub and a helicopter business. I mean, this is serious stuff here. Um, it has been sold off. Why would you sell that off? I That I don't know. These are questions that you needed to do research on. We need more information here. I need to know why. Because everybody's got to eat. That, well, they're not going to get rid of having hospitality at the tracks. From our understanding, Absolute Taste will continue to do that under their new owners. They just won't be owned by McLaren. Oh, so the question I have, though, is that at this point, does that mean that, they, I mean, yeah, there's some good reasons to sell off something that is so outside their core business. Yeah. Okay. That I can understand. But. Does this mean that now, you know now McLaren loses the level of quality control to make sure that they get the exact right sized, properly proportioned lobster tails that Ron Dennis wanted to see? Well, I mean, in terms of efficiency and economy, that's definitely a, a possibility. I Will mean, the plating standards go down because they are not to his exacting standards anymore? I seriously doubt their standards <laughs> are going to go down. I've been wondering if the if they have unlocked the temperature uh, controls at the McLaren Technology Center or not. <laughs> because I don't you know if you recall, but Ron Dennis declared that there was a specific ideal temperature for everything. And it was like yeah, something I like sixty eight degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. Um, or something to that effect. And so I'm wondering if they have unlocked the temperature gauges to allow people to adjust accordingly. Yeah, I don't know. Um, in a little more serious news of changes coming to Honda, or, or to McLaren, rather, um, Honda has managed to convince McLaren that there, if you remember, the, one of the restrictions and, and one of the perceived issues with the power plant uh, that Honda was putting together is that McLaren ran this really tight aerodynamic package. People were calling it the size zero package right. with very little room for the engine in general. The aerodynamic package dictated how the engine was put together and where the turbos were and all of that stuff. Um, and it was believed that that, so that aerodynamic package in the space that Honda was allotted was robbing Honda of power. Because they could not optimize the layout and design of the engine. Apparently, Honda has convinced McLaren that this method, that this package is not working. <laughs> that maybe aero should not dictate they, engine design. Engine design should dictate aero. Um, or at least it should have a greater impact on the aero. Now, one of the things that Honda and McLaren are both pointing out is that now that the token system has been scrapped, they can make the radical changes needed to the engine, to the power unit, 
to do this. Okay. Because under the token system, they wouldn't have had enough tokens to radically redesign the engine to fix this issue. That's definitely. I mean, we're talking relocating turbos, and I don't know if they're going to go to the same. I I think they were running like a split turbo, and and they're looking to go to uh, the similar layout that the Mercedes, because a lot of teams have realized that, well, Mercedes figured that part out. Yeah. So there's a theory that they're going to go to a design that is much more in line with what Mercedes is doing. Honda has also come out and said, wow, you know, um, yeah, we did better in 2016, but we weren't expecting everybody else to get better, too. (laughs) So, yeah, we got better, but they got even better than us. They got better or better? Yeah. More better. More better. Used to could. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah honda still seems to be on the back foot it sounds that way be an interesting start to 2017 to see if they could at least get off the back foot yeah we'll see how that shakes out um so our next article still coming from mclaren okay I, I got to throw out there that the headline that caught my eye, and in this way, I guess the headline kind of did what it was supposed to, but it's an article that comes from Autosport, and I like Autosport. They, they've got some really good insight. They've got, they get a lot of good reporting. There's a lot of great stuff on, on their site, but the headline that they put forward for this really kind of clickbaity. Okay. So their headline on the story was, 2017 Formula One cars will redefine corners. McLaren's gross predicts. Okay. Redefine corners. Like they will corner completely differently than they've ever defined. You will not think about corners the same way ever again. All right. I, 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 yeah. So, you know, I started reading the article from the perspective of, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> How exactly are you going to redefine a corner? What does that mean here? Well, it, it turns out that what Tim Gross, who's the, the technical director over at McLaren, was saying, and this is, yeah, he gets a little simplistic about it, but what he was saying was that, you know, the way the FIA engineers and the track designers approach corners is that, and, and straights, is that a straight, you don't turn the wheel. You go straight through. You 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 got the accelerator flat, or, or in this case, the throttle wide open, and you that stays the whole way through. Mm-hmm. That is a straight. Where a corner, you've got to let off the throttle a little bit, maybe hit the brake a little bit, because you've got to change directions and you don't have the grip, and in all of that, that makes the corner. So what he's saying is that with the higher level of downforce that the 2017 cars will bring, there are going to be more aspects of a track that are currently considered a corner that a driver can go flat out through. Oh. So we might have fewer corners on existing tracks because they can no longer, they don't have to lift, and they don't have to lift and coast through the corners. Well, they don't have to lift. But where, where I have issue with that, I mean, it, 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 there, there's some sense there. It makes little sense. But we, we already have several tracks that have these itty-bitty itty little jinks, like um, even uh, uh, Spa has a few. 
that are technically corners that drivers are flat out on. Mm -hmm. And they haven't renamed them. They haven't taken those designations away. So I'm not sure it really... I, I don't think we will see corners being taken away from tracks for this reason. Right. Now, how does a corner differ from a chicane? I, I believe, well, not believe. It's because of the um, the nature of it, the fact that it is a two-direction changes in close proximity to each other. Oh, okay. That would be my guess. It's perfectly fine yeah just I mean curious I, I did not as much as I did do some th research this week and you know I didn't even throw it in the lineup and I'll, I'll mention it here because it is a very good part to put it in here um on Friday Thursday or Friday of this week um the BRDC the British Racing Drivers Club and Silverstone Circuit Limited who are the promoters of the British Grand Prix announced that they are looking at the possibility of exercising the exit clause from their F1 hosting contract for the British Grand Prix um, to take effect at the end of 2019. That's huge. And they need to make that decision. And, and if they decide to do this, they need to notify the FIA and particularly FOM, who holds the contract, before this year's race. Because it's like a two-year out. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a notification piece. Uh, Bernie Eccleston w was reached for comment by one of, I believe it was Sky, uh, who said that he wasn't aware as what they were planning on doing or that they were looking at this. However, should the track decide to exercise that exit clause, there is nothing that he can do to prevent it. So that sounds like he's not willing to renegotiate. Because my understanding is that the escalation costs it's in the that escalator fee is the escalator called. fee in that contract is exorbitant. Yeah, what and 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 this is common for many of Bernie Eccleston's hosting deals and and we've got an article about it on our website. I, I wrote a piece about it. Um, is that he tends to write in this 5% escalator every year so that every year he gets 5% more in hosting fees from a track. Now, Silverstone is a I believe it's 10 years into, or they would be if they exercise this, they would be 10 years into a 15-year deal to host the race. So at 15 years, from year one to year 15, they would be paying 75% more. Than when the contract started. Than when the contract Every year. And by the way, this escalator isn't impacted by... Um, Bernie coming to the track and saying, hey, you know, the pit lane facilities are out of date. You need to rebuild them. Mm -hmm. I don't like the spectator facilities. I don't like what you're building for the paddock club. It needs to be updated. So the track spends $5, 10 $15 million to update those facilities. They still have to pay a 5% escalator. Ticket sales could go down. They still have to pay a five percent escalator. Yeah, that's there's some part of that. A, I think five percent is absolutely exorbitant. Every year, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I could see building in some kind of mechanism that that fee goes up, especially if that fee is tied to ticket sales. Yeah. Or tied to some form of revenue generated by the track, I could see some kind of an escalator related to that. But not when it's completely agnostic of everything else that's going on and everything that the promoter is trying to do to get somebody in there. That that makes no sense to me. Right. It's it disincentivizes growth, actually. But the other question is Okay, here we are. We haven't even started the season. We just started the new year. What is the BRDC's goal and Silverstone Circuit's goal in leaking that they're considering this now? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, I would hope that they're trying to accomplish forcing somebody to renegotiate the contract. That may be. And as we've pointed out, doing something with threatening the the future of a race is a tactic that bernie likes to use all the time he's been doing it to monza he's been doing it to uh montreal he did it to brazil he he's you know this is a common he did it to silverstone Mm -hmm. but along the same lines i'm not sure it's nearly as effective when you're a track trying to do that to bernie as when it's bernie trying to do that to a track see that's the thing is i think that Bernie uses it effectively. I don't know if I've seen a track use it as effectively on Bernie. I don't think it has been used. And and I think Bernie's position, especially at this point, is it doesn't matter how much people scream and yell that this is an iconic track and how can Formula One lose this track and how can the series leave this country. It hasn't stopped them. And it hasn't truly affected the money that... FOM brings in, and it hasn't stopped other countries that people have not heard of Azerbaijan <laughs> from saying, hey, we want a race. Come here. I know. I know. It's not effectively working. It, it, it's just working out that Bernie's got more power than the tracks have got. Mm-hmm. So some of the research I did this week. Okay. Just to, you know, what are the alternatives if Silverstone walked? Okay. They said they can't afford, they can't do it. Well, in the past, before we got to the current deal, the series alternated between the British Grand Prix alternated between um, Silverstone and Brands Hatch. Okay. So I did a little bit of research. Brands Hatch is not currently listed as an or is not currently certified at FIA Grade One status, which means they cannot host a Formula One race. Oh, is there any other track in England that is? No. Oh. The other track that is hosted Formula One in England is Aintree. Aintree, I don't believe, exists anymore. <clears throat> and Brooklyn's is now a, uh, a housing development. Housing development, office park. Although, part, and, and the other issue is that Brooklyn's was banked. Mm-hmm. F, they're not going to run on any bank track anymore. I mean, they don't do that in Monza. That's the last other track that has banking left. Nobody runs on it. So... Yeah, there is no other grade one certified track in the entire United Kingdom. Ouch. Yeah. There are some grade two tracks around, but the question is, would... Could they be upgraded enough? Would they be willing to go, to spend the money to upgrade the track, knowing that, you know, there's a reason that Silverstone is telling Bernie to go take a hike, or considering mm-hmm. telling him to take a hike? 
But you know where there is a grade one track that is interested and is actively trying to get Formula One back? Where? Imola. Yes. Now, granted, that wouldn't be the British Grand Prix. Nor the Italian Grand Prix. Correct. But they do want the sport back. They want the series back. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Now, to be honest, mm-hmm. the British Racing Drivers Club, mm-hmm. BD, British, BRDC. Drive, British Drivers Racing Club. No, it's the BRDC, British Racing, Racing Drivers, Drivers Club. Club. You were right. There it is. Um, <clears throat> they have threatened things before that haven't come through either. Well, they've been trying to sell the track. They've been trying to do quite a few things to further yeah. racing in England and... and they can't sell the track, and that's their problem. Right. So if if they can't sell it, and they can't figure out how to force a renegotiation on the deal, they're not going to do much to further British racing in England by getting rid of Formula One in England. They're not, but, you know, as uh, Derek Warwick, who's the current president of the BRDC, has said, if you can't afford the race, you can't afford the race. And as he puts it, they've they've made changes to the layout of the track because FOM and Bernie wanted it. They built the entire new wing building, that, that arrow wing that they've got that is the new paddocks. They spent something like five million pounds to build that entire facility because Bernie demanded it because he didn't like the old facilities. Mm-hmm. They have done all... Everything that has been asked of them and demanded of them by Bernie Eccleston, and they're still getting hammered by this. At what point do they have to say stop? What point do they get to say that? Well, I, I completely understand their perspective. I do. It'll be sad to see it leave England, but we'll see what happens. So just as a piece of trivia. Okay. Okay. Do you know the grade one FIA grade one certified tracks in the United States. There are only, believe it or not, two. Yes, I know both of them. Well, you do now. <laughs> you didn't originally. Austin. Mm-hmm. Because it hosts F1 today. Yes. And the Indy racetrack in Indianapolis. Yeah, specifically, it's the, um, it's the Indy road course, I believe. Yeah. yeah, the Indianapolis Grand Prix circuit, which includes the road course. So I don't think the oval by itself so, is. No, the oval. But the, the centerpiece. Those are the only two FIA grade one certified tracks in the country. Watkins Glen is grade two. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of grade two tracks. Um, road Atlanta is a grade two track. Um, and it was one other one. Sebring is grade two certified. And that's it in the U.S. So do they certify road courses? Um, yes. So? Yes, yeah, So because Monaco is FIA grade one certified. Mm-hmm. Um, Baku is grade one certified. Um, yeah, they're, they're all in, – in order to run a Formula One car, the layout and everything – has to be grade one certified. Well, so that's my thought is perhaps there is in England a 
course to be designed that's a road course? Well, you know, they've been trying to do something in London. Actually, you know, I don't see Singapore on here, which is odd. I don't see – I'm, I'm looking at the FIA list. Singapore is not listed as grade one or grade two. Hmm. But Sochi is, Baku is, and they've got one listed for Moscow Raceway. Interesting. I don't know what that is, though. But, you know, there there may be a track in England that could be designed. Yeah, I mean, you pick out pick the road layout and if you're you've got the uh various bits and pieces for safety and what have you so that charlie can come in and give it give it the blessing you get your certification so i don't know so while we're talking about tracks um australia's albert park circuit they're doing some revisions specifically for the expected increase in speeds uh starting in 2017 Oh, what kind of revisions are they doing? Um, they're doing about a uh, hundred. Well, they're installing a hundred thousand Australian dollars worth of Tech Pro barriers at turn twelve, plus they're reprofiling the tire walls at turns one, six, and fourteen. Um, they're moving tires around. They're putting extra layers of tires around. Um, they were asked as to whether or not, you know, since they're putting Tech Pro in over at, at turn 12, will they put in more Tech Pro over the years in other locations and attracts it? Uh, yeah, no, it's really expensive. <laughs> so as long as we can get away with um, old conveyor belts and tires, we're going to do that. Yeah. And I can understand that. I yeah. can definitely understand that. Apparently, the biggest overhaul is happening over at turn 14, where the entire runoff area at the end of the braking zone is going to get doubled uh, from three rows of tires to six with additional tube inserts put in place. Interesting. Yeah. So some driver news. Driver news. Massa's coming back to Williams? Uh, We don't know yet. Botas is going to Mercedes? We don't know yet. Okay. Well, then what driver news could you possibly have? Pascal Verline has a seat. Okay. At Sauber. Sauber. <laughs> At Sauber. Okay. wonder um, if he's going to be able to, you know. Well, you know, there's a, there, there's a couple of things you got to be wondering here. And, and in a way, it ties into a story that we're going to get to in a second. But okay, so Pascal, Pascal got a seat over at Sauber, which kind of sort of almost maybe moves him a little bit up the grid i don't know Mm -hmm. but part of the reason for him getting the seat over at manor in the first place was because manor was being partially supported by mercedes right that was the deal with them getting the mercedes engines Mm -hmm. so esteban Ocon was driving for them also as part of this whole thing but now he moves over to sauber still theoretically being backed by mercedes Sauber's a Ferrari partner and has been for a very long time. Yeah, so, okay. It's a little odd. Is he leaving the Young Driver program for Nope, this, this is part of him gathering further experience to possibly get a Mercedes seat in the future. He's still affiliated with the Mercedes program. Yeah. Okay. So now this leaves two vacant seats over at Manor. Okay, but that's not unusual that they don't start announcing their drivers until they roll out their car. So one of the front runners, Esteban Gutierrez, Mm -hmm. who 
he comes with a decent amount of money from Carlos Slim. Yeah. So maybe there's a possibility there. Um, Felipe Nasser is considered to be a contender there because he he's lost his sponsorship. That's why yeah. he's not at Sauber now. Um, but also maybe Rio Harianto on a half season deal. Oh my! Of course, that was before we got word that um, he's lost Pertamina, which was his main sponsor. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. So I, I don't think we're going to see Rio back. His management team says that they are still trying to get a deal, much like they were trying to get a 2016 deal for the last half of the season, and that didn't work. So I don't know I don't know how that's going to work, especially when you lose Pertamina. Yeah. I'm not sure we're going to see Rio coming back. But all of that comes before or all of that word came out before we got word late friday afternoon that things are in really 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 bad shape over at manor um they have once again entered administration which is essentially bankruptcy protection Mm. um and word is that they are on the brink of collapse i'm really not surprised i think they probably lost a lot when they drop down below Sauber. It's believed that that some that that uh round of points that Sauber got um probably more by luck than anything else over in Brazil cost Manor about 40 million dollars. Ouch, that's huge. Especially when you're a small budget team like they are. Yeah. And then to turn around and I'm guessing pulling Pascal out of the team means that Mercedes support is going away and it possibly that engine bill may have gone up. Yeah. And then you add those together and it just puts the team in a lot of trouble. It might be time. Now, is there anybody out there that could buy the team? Well, they they had entered into negotiations uh with I guess four different groups, two of which had uh advanced into some level of um trying to find where it was they, they had moved as far as going into it into the due diligence process however neither of those te- those groups were able to come up with the funds necessary to actually buy the team nor actually come up with the proof that they had the money to buy the team mm. that's not good either yeah so it, it's not looking particularly good um even the folks who are taking over the team while it is an administration don't think that they can uh turn things around fast enough to get the team onto the grid in 17 and you'll recall that it was in 2015 2014 into 2015 that they were in administration when they were bought and were late getting to the grid you know, yeah. assets were already being sold off and auctioned off. Haas bought their original headquarters. So yeah. I, I, I don't think that this is going to work I, I out I think well we may be down a team time. next year. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is the last time that this happened. Happened in 2014, the same year Jules Bianchi died, and he got them their first ever point. Right. They didn't score another point until this year Pascal Verline got them a point. Mm-hmm. And it didn't help. So maybe that's the issue. When Manor wins points, they they end up actually dying. 
<laughs> points might not actually be good for these backmarker teams. Well, I, I it's all I got. Sauber. I mean, it's helping Sauber. So yeah. Problem is, I'd rather see Manor stay on the grid than Monisha, but that's just because I have an issue with Monisha. Yeah. Well, and we'll see whether or not she survives the season. She I, survived bigger things than this. So. I do hear that, you know, now that they have some money, that development work is going on frantically there. Oh, good. So maybe they will be firmly entrenched in the mid-pack. That would be nice. So we get to now look further forward to 2017. Yes. Mercedes has announced their uh, car launch date. Uh, they are going to be doing theirs at Silverstone on February 23rd. They are also, if you take a look over on their uh, webpage, on their, their, their internet's site, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> there is also a contest that is that Mercedes is running. I'm guessing, I haven't looked at the details. Um, I am guessing it's going to only be for like UK or EU residents, but there is a contest that they are running that a lucky fan or some number of lucky fans will get to be present at the car launching and see it all firsthand at Silverstone. Nice. So check that out. Um, but no word on their driver lineup. So February 23rd, they will be doing that. Um, they are probably also going to be doing some filming there as well, using some of their filming days. Uh, Force India also announced theirs, not to be outdone by Ferrari, which... Um, is going to be two days after, or, or the 27th will be Ferrari's. 27th or the 24th? Ferrari's the 24th. Mercedes the 23rd. Force India will be the 22nd. Ah. Um, and then Renault will be the 21st. <laughs> and, of course, being that this is Renault and Force India and Mercedes, the three teams were poking fun at each other over their their uh, dates that each one had to be earlier than the other over on Twitter ah. because that's what those three do. Well, that's good. It's nice to see them having, you know, jovial fun. Yes. And then as a reminder, testing begins in Barcelona on February 27th. And – as much as the FIA, or excuse me, the FOM has been doing some really cool stuff on Twitter and on Facebook lately, they have realized that they need to have a presence and do stuff. The one thing that they have not done yet, they have not made the 2017 cal calendar downloadable. Last I saw, the 2016 calendar was not downloadable until after the season started. Oh, my. Get on it, FOM. This is not hard to stop. It shouldn't be. No. Autosport, or not Autosport, uh, F1 Fanatic has it, but it's not to my standards. It's not to your standards. It's not to my standards. But I could download it from F1 Fanatic if I wanted to. But not to your standards. No, it, Why it was Why don't you make it to your standards and make it downloadable on the Bloke and the Bird site? I'd have to sort out how to do that with the iCal. Maybe, if I have time. Okay. Potentially. Weights of Mosses. Yes, Weights of Mosses. We'll, we'll, we'll see what other avenues. Maybe McLaren will do it. I know, Renault. <laughs> Have Renault give us stats and Weights of Hulkenbergs. That would be nice. 
maybe we can get force India to goad Renault into doing it. We'll have to like start poking around. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to think about this plan. But uh, that's all we've got for this week. Well, for another quiet week in the sleepy suburbs of subarctic Hoth. <laughs> Hoth. <laughs> Did you make your Tauntaun sleeping bag yet? No, actually, once we wrap up, I'm going to go hunt one of the ones down that's running down, running down a block, and, and we'll go cut it open and, and deal with it. I hear when you cut them open, they stink really bad. Yeah, badly. they smell really bad, but they'll keep you warm. Okay. And on that note, we'll call it a show. <laughs> we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.